Welcome to Women of Marvel. I'm Ellie Pyle. I'm Angelique Roche. And I'm Judy Stevens. This week, we're looking at mentorship in a new way, positive and negative influences. Um, I gotta say, there's quite a few really good mentors in Marvel Comics, but there's also some really bad ones, too. So to illustrate this dynamic, we're going to talk about Valeria Richards of the Fantastic Four, daughter of Sue Storm and Reed Richards, goddaughter to Dr. Doom. Valeria has always had a lot of complex influences in her life in terms of role models, and we're going to take a look at how that has manifested in some different universes. To start things off, I spoke with creator Rachel Stott. Rachel is an award-winning artist who worked on Fantastic Four Reckoning Wars. She's a huge Fantastic Four fan and has a lot of opinions about Sue Storm, a.k.a. the Invisible Woman. She joined me from her home in London to talk about Sue as a mother, a leader, and a mentor. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to Women of Marvel. Hi, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about Sue Storm and Valeria Richards. Before we begin, um, I do want to share that you did interiors for Fantastic Four Reckoning War with Dan Slott. So I've also heard that you have just many thoughts on the Fantastic Four. (laughs) So I'm so excited to hear all of them. Let's start with Sue's leadership skills. So... um, Fantastic Four, some of the oldest characters we have here at Marvel Comics. They first appeared in 1961 in Fantastic Four number one. So talk to me about kind of Sue's role in the origin story and kind of the beginning of this team. This is cool because this is this feels like a school pop quiz, but about a subject <laughs> I actually know about. So it's like pressure, but Love I've it. got it. <laughs> this is taking me back. Uh, it's actually really interesting because I think we've seen some stuff in recent years where they've sort of recontextualized some stuff from the origin, especially from like the 60th anniversary to give Sue more of like an active role in the reason they went up and things like that. Because at first it was all that sort of 60s, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go up to show the Russians and then uh, impress my dame and all this kind of stuff. And uh, now we look back and she's got more of an active role and bringing Johnny with her makes more of sense <laughs> rather than yeah. just like, I'm going to bring my teenage brother for some reason. It's She was still an equal part of the team, even in the 60s, which was pretty, I mean, it's not perfect. Like you still read those old books and people are like, oh, Sue, stop being such a woman and get back in the kitchen and stuff. Like, I love the fact she has the same costume as everyone else as well. She's like, mm-hmm. she plays around with like a mini skirt version at one point, which is very cute. But um, <laughs> so I won't shame her for that. But uh, I love the fact they all look the same. It's very equal. So she didn't quite have her full power set or anything like that. And the inherent nature of being invisible is kind of like, I'm going to just hide up this corner while you all sort out the problems. <laughs> but then she was also doing stuff like sneaking up behind people and doing things and taking part in the fights and being very like, don't leave me behind. You kind of take your little snippets of feminism where you can get it. <laughs> 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was talking to um, Mr. Daniel, who's somebody who I work closely with recently, and they were saying that like you look back at some of those versions of the origin story, and as much as we blame Reed for them going up there and going too soon, that uh, there are definitely versions where Sue's the one who's like, "No, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go now." And you know, I I really loved uh, in the wedding in the Ben Grimm like. Uh... Uh, ben and Alicia wedding issue there was a mm-hmm. story that was written by um it was drawn by Mike Allred and it was so good and it like actually acknowledged the fact that Sue was like don't be a coward Ben you have to go up and they have that and I was like oh my god no one has ever like explored that tiny bit of dialogue and that whole yeah. first issue of FF is so iconic that you could take like any line from it and do uh, branch a storyline off from it so I was like wow it's amazing like yeah that was really good I liked that so you mentioned that Sue doesn't have her full power set in the beginning. Um, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit for us in terms of how her powers evolve kind of over time and where she ends up in terms of invisibility, not just being all she can do. It's funny because she went from being this very like passive, like a rogue member of the D&D group that is the FF mm-hmm. uh, to suddenly being like one of the most powerful uh, characters in the Marvel Universe. And I love the extent of how you can play with those powers as well. So you can do stuff like, you know, make someone blind by making their eyeball, uh, their their optic nerve, like, invisible and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, people love to bring up the thing that she can, like, pop someone's brain if she wanted to and, like, kill them immediately and stuff. And I think it was in Hickman's run, she, like, freaks the wizard out just by making his torso, like, invisible and showing him his, like, internal organs. And it's all this stuff that's, like... Uh, I love these little hints that like Sue started out as quite the sweet, like cute member, like the Smurfette of the group. But in recent years, she's actually become like quite in a very fun way, not in a bad way, like quite a dark, like more willing to get gritty member of the team, Mm -hmm. which is a nice contrast to Ben, who looks very aggressive, but is actually like heart of gold. Uh, So I really like that sort of development. Yeah. Sue had lost her second child. Um, and yet, uh, through the magic of comics, eventually, uh, Valeria ends up being that second child. How do you think that impacted Sue and Valeria's relationship? That Valeria was, you know, kind of this child after such a loss and who had her own complexities in terms of how she was brought into the world. It's such a complicated like storyline and I ate that Chris Claremont stuff up. Like <laughs> like proper like his X-Men style of like soap opery kind of thing, whilst also acknowledging that like that's a really tricky subject to deal with in the real world and yeah, doing it with like superheroes and stuff. So it was so interesting. Like I really love the fact that when that like older version of Valeria appears, Sue is the one member of the team that's like, no. Like everyone else is like way more accepting of her. Uh which is like I think rings quite true. And I like the fact that she didn't immediately go into like, you know, I'm the maternal mother and I will take you to my bosom and all this kind of stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. One of the things I would love to see explored in a future issue or, you know, storyline or something is this whole thing of like, she, you know, spent several years of continuity, like mourning the loss of that child. And then when she gets her back, Val is like this super, super genius who maybe their relationship isn't what she was maybe envisioning for all those years. Cause it's kind of like, they've done a little bit of exploration of that in really interesting ways of like, the disconnect between the two of them because of that like she's way more like 
she, I was gonna say she's way more like Reed, but she's actually way more like Doom. Yeah, <laughs> she's like yeah, she's like an evil little lady Doom, which is great. I love that about Val. Like she's one of my favorite Marvel characters. So that kind of thing of like mourning the loss of that daughter and also like her only daughter as well. And then yeah, her turning up and being like Richards, I will crush you, and you're like oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think that so many Valeria stories focus on her two father figures, as you mentioned. You know, is is she more like Reed? Is she more like Doom? You know, who who it, is going like to... We're like one father away from a Mamma Mia situation, and yeah. I cannot wait until someone does that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's oh, the third daddy going to be? <laughs> who, who would it be? Who would it be? Um, well, and we've seen different realities where Doom is the father, and certainly in 616 you know he's her godfather and was part of delivering her into the world and all of that in all of these different versions the thing that does remain consistent is that sue's always her mom so what traits do you think valeria gets from sue what do you think that they have in common or if not naturally have in common what do you think valeria has learned from sue what I was saying before about that darkness and that ruthlessness, I think a lot of time writers will pick up on that and use it as a way to link her back to Doom, which is such a great dynamic because it's so fun to have, like, Doom actually shows, like, quite a bit of affection for her. So there's bits where, I think it was in Dan's run when he, they would have, like, little, like, godfather, goddaughter, like, check-ins. And it wasn't even Doom being particularly malicious. He'd just be like, you know, Doom being Doom, but just checking in on her and her chatting back. And that was so great. It's, like, such a new thing to explore but I think that yeah I think that she's very Sue-like in that way that she's like ruthless and quite a bit of a leader like there's some good bits with um in Hickman's run when she's leading that team of children Mm -hmm. and she's sort of like the unofficial like you know evil genius of the group yeah 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 exactly one of the things that is admirable about Sue is that she doesn't necessarily try and do it all herself. Um, and in fact, uh, she brings on Agatha Harkness in 1961 um, to help out as a caregiver for Franklin. So talk to me a little bit about kind of Agatha and how she fits into the family as as an eventual kind of mentor to Franklin and role in shaping, you know, who he becomes. I think she's such like an interesting addition to the book at that point because like it's obviously such like a sci-fi driven book, like a very monster book, and then suddenly you've got like this very high fantasy character. <laughs> she's like a Terry Pratchett witch, you know? Yeah, which is just the most Marvel, isn't it? That it's like you know, oh, and suddenly here's this mess of genres. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, we're just going to throw magic in here for some reason. And so, like, you've got, like... And it works, and it's great. And so, like, you've got, you know, the world's greatest scientist, and then he's like, I'm just going to leave it with this... Oh, I love the issue when they go and visit her to see if she's, like, legit to look after Franklin. And she's literally, like, puff of smoke, like, greetings! Like, couldn't be more suspicious. And they're like, we're just going to leave our firstborn only child (laughs) with this old woman. (laughs) who appears to live in like a literal gingerbread house with a cat and just like hey it's just so ridiculous in the most perfect way like I yeah I really really love that and I love the fact that she's almost a bit like Madam Web in the way that she's never 100% good she's not evil or anything like that her motivations are always quite hidden as well Mm -hmm. so sometimes you know she'll be kind of like 
oh, Franklin, we'll see about. And you're like, oh, where's this going? And then, you know, just turns out she's not really doing anything, but she's just got like her own things, goals and ambitions and aims mm-hmm. and stuff. So I like mm-hmm. that. That's cool. Well, and that's interesting that both Valeria and Franklin end up with kind of that magic counterpoint in, oh, yeah. in their lives between th- Agatha and Doom. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, they both kind of have, you know, that aspect of influence as well. That's so interesting. I never thought of that before. Yeah. So they both had like a spooky magic person looking after them. Um, yeah. And it's also funny as well because Franklin essentially grows up to be like such a typical kid in many ways. So especially when he's like a little boy, he's just like, oh, I'm going to play ball and stuff like that. And he's got like the world's creepiest childminder. We do see uh, Franklin and Valeria get incorporated into the stories. And years later, we have the Future Foundation. So what kind of role does Sue play in the Future Foundation and kind of, you know, this constructed family in some ways that, you know, we have the biological family, but then, you know, they have various other children that they've kind of taken in. It's interesting because it's not really from the first time that Sue takes like a main like leadership role. Because I guess at that point, like Reed's getting read like distracted by the Council of Reeds and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I love that he's getting distracted by just hanging out with himself. <laughs> and Are she's you like, guess I'll... Though? Are you surprised? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but then, so in, was it like the 80s or the 90s? Like he and Doom apparently died and then Sue becomes uh, the leader. At that point, they were really playing into like the uh, I'm not like other girls, like because I'm like a strong woman, I'm essentially a guy uh, type of tone to the writing of it, which I love those issues. You know, no judgment. That was totally the 90s vibe. So it's a really good run and quite underrated as well. But very, very good. But uh, then when it was like Future Foundation, she was like doing this whole thing where she became becomes like. Uh, the ruler of uh, Atlantis. I was like the the main, the most famous underwater uh, civilization. Yeah, so she does that, and then like the the kids kind of take their own side thing as well, and then she has to deal with like Johnny dying, and even in Mark Wade's run, they had like a whole thing with like older Sue appearing and chatting to old Valeria. So she's she's kind of had like very deep, serious stuff happened to her personally but part of like side plots so if you just follow sue's storyline she's like she's not really you know in the way that like the council of reeds is like the main crux of that story and it's very much a storyline about fathers and sons and stuff she's still taking part of it in a really interesting way and like the way you can sort of feel modern writers trying to feel out what her role is because she makes like a great like sort of proactive leader but then it's just a case of like, well, you know, how does that fit with everyone else in the team and things? Like that? And her as a mother as well. Who's your favorite Marvel Universe mentorship pairing? Like, who's your favorite, you know, characters who look up to each other or have have guided each other through things? Oh, that's a really good question. Like, I think, is it mentorship? Is it like the the... It's so interesting seeing the role that Cyclops has taken, uh, like pre Krakoa, the role mm-hmm. that Cyclops started to take in the X Men uh, versus like where he his relationship with Professor X, mm-hmm. and like Cyclops is such a like complicated character in a way that mm-hmm. like you know most of my friends don't read comic books, so I'm like you know the guy that shoots red beams out of his eyes. Anyway, this is how it relates to like politics and you know <laughs> drama and psychology and all this kind of stuff. So it's been really fun to see him take a leadership role and a mentorship role to the X-Men 
in a, such a different way to what Professor X was because Professor X was very like old fashioned, like fatherly. Um, and so like the way that Cyclops was taking sort of the X-Men into like the new, I was going to say the new millennia, but that's showing my age because that's 20 years ago. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> I'm with you. So how has mentorship played a role in your career? I was discussing with someone the other day about in terms of like, you know, what's it like being a woman in comics? You don't want to like define yourself by that too much because you really have to do a little bit of fighting to be recognized as like an artist and not like a woman artist. But it's like very interesting to have like so many girls now come at comic cons and shows and ask questions. And it's amazing because I really remember like this is either very early days of the internet or just before, you know, when everything was on like forums and like weird web pages with like clip art on them. <laughs> so like that would be someone's X-Men page. And uh, I remember I would be like buying issues of like Marvel comics and I would always look into the credit section, see if there's any women names and there never was. And I was like, oh, like, cause I love comics and I love drawing superhero stuff. And I remember being so, la- it wasn't like, I thought it was, bad or could change I thought that the rules were you had to be a dude and you had to live in New York (laughs) but then um when I was like at university I went to an event with uh there's a British artist called uh, John McRae who's wonderful he's such a cool dude I was chatting away to him and he was like the first comic book artist I'd ever actually met and I was like oh like you can like do this from England like you can like work as a comic book artist in England he was like yeah <laughs> this is like my full job and I was like oh my god and I remember walking home that day like that's like one of the happiest moments I've ever been in my whole life because I was like yeah. oh I can suddenly I can do this as a job like that's really cool so every now and again I'll check in with John and be like hey John remember me <laughs> and he's like how do you still have this number <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is awesome. I am so glad that you came to chat with us today, and we would love to have you back anytime. Um, So thank you very much. Oh, no, yeah. I would love to come back anytime. This is super, super fun. Wow. Rachel truly is a Fantastic Four fan. And she had some really thoughtful things to say about Sue and Valeria. You know, and I like how she looked at the storytelling through a feminist lens. Sue was really a terrific role model for her children. So what happens when Valeria loses her parents early on and has a lot more doom as an influence in her life? I am happy to introduce you to director of Marvel's Wastelanders Doom podcast, Jade King Carroll. In this fifth installment of the audio epic, the only thing that makes Valeria a superhero rather than a supervillain is the fact that she has good parents. So what happens if we find ourselves in a universe where her parents are gone and the primary family she is left with is her godfather, Dr. Doom? We had a very special guest host for this interview, our director of audio and executive producer for the Wastelander series, Jill DeBoff. Hey, Jade. Welcome back to Marvel. Oh, it's so good to be back. We worked together this year on Marvel's Wastelanders Doom podcast. Tell our listeners, what did you do on the show? 
I directed Marvel's Wastelanders Doom with Dylan Baker as Doom and Becca Naomi Jones as Valeria. Working with both James Kim and Mark Wade early on, who are the writers. And we started early on just with who the characters were. Mark was such a great resource talking about who the, who Doom was. And Mark's actually written Doom in the comic books, which is one of the reasons that he was on the project. And it was so cool to have him here. He was amazing to work with. And both of them were wonderful to work with. But it was a, it was a really special treat for my first foray into this world to be with Mark Wade, who has, doesn't just know the lore, he's created so much of it. That was wonderful. And then figuring out with Ed, the whole team, who the best cast was, um, and then and then ultimately going into the studio, which, if I'm honest, is my favorite part with all of the the actors and and bringing the the, the story that we had worked on um, developing for months to life with the various actors and various studios that we we worked slightly different because of COVID, but um, it was still a wonderful month to kind of capture that. And then quite a few months after, in post. With Mark Henry Phillips, our wonderful sound designer and composer and engineer, who who worked who he worked side by side from the very beginning, but really intentionally. So this season of Women in Marvel, we're focusing on mentorship. Back to the Mark Wade, would you say he sort of like mentored everybody with his Doom Marvel knowledge? Yes, absolutely. He he mentored the whole the whole project in that smart Doom way. Uh, with such excitement too, such passion for the the character. Having mentors within the Marvel universe is something that's really important to character growth and character development and exposition. Um, and usually, it's heroes mentoring heroes, at, or you know, or likes or villains mentoring villains. But in this case, Doom mentored Valeria in this show. Can you talk a little bit about about what that was like, about both developing that relationship and also how it played out within the show? Well, it was a, a wonderful relationship to develop. And I think so that that mentorship and the complication of Doom and Valeria and their history is so delicious to kind of get into all of the sides within herself, the dark and the good. And there's there's something righteously evil about Doom that I think Valeria brings out. I think another thing that made it really exciting from a storytelling point of view is is that balance. Is they're both kind of walking the tightrope because there is a certain amount of respect for the other's intelligence and meeting of the minds and they know how intelligent the other person is. I think they enjoy both the good and bad in each other because they don't know where they're going to be challenged intellectually. So there's, there's something in that way that was really fun to, to develop. So to take a step back in their history, Valeria is the daughter of Reed Richards and Sue Storm. Reed went to college with Dr. Doom, and then they became enemies. Can you talk about how Valeria ended up going to Dr. Doom, her father's nemesis, for mentorship? Well, her parents are gone, so Valeria wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Doom. Originally, when Valeria was born... She was a stillbirth, and then she was born in another multiverse. And Doom came. Doom is one of the only intelligent people to figure it out. 
So she really owes her life. And he named her. Now that we're 30 years later, Valeria's grown and everybody has, and her whole family is gone. There is nobody else that is her mental, has her mental alacrity. There's nobody else on her level. And Doom has some answers. In the world 30 years later, where everybody is gone, there's very few places to turn. And together, I think for a while, we think that together they might be able to accomplish more than they would alone. So there's always the possibility of them working together and maybe maybe that righteous villain in Doom will be more righteous than villain. I, it's an interesting mentor-mentee relationship because I think they learn from each other, which is not always what we think of when we think of mentor-mentee relationship, but I actually do think it's often what happens in those relationships. The person who's who's mentoring the other person learns unexpected things from their mentee as well. Valeria and Doom reconnect 30 years in the future, which is in this universe after V-Day when the heroes have died. They work together and there's this mentorship, but what happens when mentorship goes wrong? Well, I think the stakes just go up on the battle of the minds. Right, You mentor someone out of respect for their capability, but then when they surpass you or you think they might surpass you, there's a battle of mind that was always there, but it goes from nurturing to a very toxic, dangerous, deadly relationship where you know the ins and outs of how the other person thinks. So you can, you can kind of play both sides of the chess game, which I think makes the stakes all the more exciting and all the more possibilities for just great storytelling. Yeah, and Doom is clearly not happy about that. So, like, Valeria eventually does outshine Doom, and then Doom is no longer the smartest person in the room. How does he handle that in the show? I mean, not well. <laughs> he does, I mean, I, I only Doom in a magnificent way, in a way that could end the world. I would say he has a, a temper tantrum of all temper tantrums. To, is that reductive? Um <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) At this point in the story, did Valeria learn anything from Dr. Doom? Or is she even open enough to admit she learned anything from him? What resonated, is still resonating with me, is the emotional manipulation she was able to use. That she was able to actually play on some emotions that we don't even think of Doom as having, just by playing on her own emotions, leading him down different paths. I think so. And then in the upcoming series in Wastelanders, their relationship goes to a whole other level. I can't wait. Very exciting. Um, now, aside from Mark Wade, let's talk about your mentors. What mediums do you work in? I am mostly in theater. And I actually am the producing artistic director of uh, Chautauqua Theater Company and Chautauqua Institute right now. So I've had a lot of different mentorships, both as a director and as an artistic director in the theater industry. I did work on one film once as an additional AD, assistant director, and Jody Markell was the director and I was there because I was interested to see if I wanted to go into that medium. So I was running lines with people and doing assistant work, but really being mentored to see if that was a direction I wanted to go. And ultimately theaters, that live storytelling is where I lived. So I was mentored by Carol Rothman at Second Stage Theater um, in artistic direction. And then regionally, my lifelong mentor 
has been Emily Mann, who is a writer, director, artistic director of McCarthy Theater, and was one of my father's collaborators. My father being my ultimate mentor and a composer. So he composed music for, for theater and would call me in from a young age and go, how does this make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel like spinning in a circle. Like, oh, it's a dirge. Or, um, you know, so I, so early on, I started listening to what my ear, what story my ears were hearing in, in a more abstract way. So I've been blessed with a lot of mentors and more female mentors, I think, than, than most people are lucky enough to have. What is the top quality that you look for in a mentor? Honesty, even when it's tough. I think Doom and Valeria have want that. And at times they're, they, you know, they, they pretend, they glean at finding that trust and that truthfulness. It's not as um, sincere as mine, as at least I think my mentorship <laughs> has been. And sometimes those conversations are really hard. Sometimes it's your mentor telling you you're not ready for something. This is what you need to do to get ready for it. Mentorship is not always easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it, you have to be willing to have the, the hard, to hear the hard conversations or when you're mentoring, now I'm on the other side of it, kind of mentoring myself, to be able to have enough care around someone or intentionality, manipulation, in, in the case of doom. Um, but in my case, enough, enough intentionality around someone to be honest with them when something isn't working. Um, I think Doom's always looking at what he's going to get out of it ultimately. It's like a pretty strong angle there. <laughs> you have now lived in this world of Doom and Valeria. Mm -hmm. Has any of that rubbed off on you? Any of their, their eccentricities, shall we say? Oh, interesting. I think the largeness of the storytelling was inspirational to me. The possibility, the magic, how we handle power. I guess it's left me, I think some of the questions that I, I think we ask in this series have stuck with me. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Thank you for asking me that. Wow, uh, that is a pretty interesting comparison of mentorship. I know a lot of us probably don't think about it, but, you know, those dynamics exist. The positive influence from Sue Storm or the much darker impact of Victor Von Du. Totally. And if you haven't listened to the podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders Doom, it's out now along with the first four seasons of Marvel's Wastelanders wherever you get your podcasts. And for those who are all caught up and ready to find out what happens next in this epic tale, particularly when it comes to Valeria and Doom. Our great team-up grand finale, Marvel's Wastelanders, is out now with the first two episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of grand finales, next week we have a really terrific way to end our season on mentorship. You're right, Ellie. We are presenting a round table discussion with three women of Marvel who have been positive mentors for each other. And they are all incredible women and mentors to us all. Former Marvel editors Sana Amana, Jenny Lee, and Mackenzie Cadehan. So you're not going to want to miss it. But until then, Women of Marvel is produced by Isabel Robertson, Cara McGurk-Allison, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Rocher. 
Our Senior Manager of Audio Development is Brad Barton. Our Director of Production Management is Larissa Rosen. Production Manager is Emily Godfrey. And our Executive Producer is Jill Duboff. Listen weekly on SiriusXM and on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. This is Marvel. Your universe.